Hello and welcome again to Metamorphosis, the podcast of Trinity United Methodist Church in Piedmont, Missouri, where we share the unchanging love of Jesus to change people's lives. I'm Eric Sintel, and in this episode, I'm continuing to discuss Dan Foster's essays. My last episode, I was going to talk about these two essays as a pair, but my overall discussion went, you know, a little bit long, so I wanted to break it up into two episodes. So if you haven't listened to the first episode where I talk about Dan Foster's essay on how um, half of Christians, according to some research, don't display Christ-like attitudes or actions, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go listen to it and then come back to this one because this one kind of really follows up on that and talks about this essay where uh, Dan describes um, some reflections from a megachurch pastor on why or how the church can often fail to help people spiritually grow. So these two essays really go hand in hand, and these two episodes really go in hand in hand. But listen to that first one first, and then come back to this one if you haven't already listened to the other one. So given that um, so many Christians, according to this research, <laughs> fail to demonstrate Christ-like behaviors or attitudes, um, this other article by Dan Foster hits a little bit differently, right? The 10 reasons why organized church won't help you grow. So the first article is about how you know self-identified Christians don't seem to follow Christ. This article is about how the church doesn't seem to help people follow Christ. So this is a, a pretty hard-hitting uh, perspective in some ways. So Dan begins this essay by talking about Jim Palmer, who was um, one of the associate pastors at Willow Creek Church, the largest megachurch in the world at that time, I believe. Um, and so he was preaching to 26,000 people on a 155-acre uh, church site. Um, so, you know, according to Dan, you know, Jim Palmer, he was serving on the pastoral team. So he wasn't Bill Hybels, the lead pastor, preaching at the main campus, but he was at a different campus, still preaching to 26,000 people. Um, and then in 2004, Jim Palmer had a crisis of faith. So... Um, According to Dan's essay, Jim realized that preaching biblical and theological correct sermons was doing little to address the real day-to-day -day issues that church members were experiencing, things like depression, addiction, domestic violence, divorce, and suicide. In a moment of brutal honesty, Jim Palmer admitted to himself that his pastoral persona, his outward image that he had projected to the world, did not line up with his internal brokenness, disharmony, and suffering. Palmer says on his personal blog, One day I realized that for some of the theology I signed up to represent, I could not in good conscience believe or teach anymore. Shortly thereafter, I resigned as senior pastor, left professional Christian ministry, and began searching for answers. These days, Jim Palmer helps those who have been damaged by the misuse of religion, and while he is happy to affirm what he sees as good about religious faith and belief in God, he also speaks out against those parts of religion that he sees as toxic. Okay, and then recently Jim Palmer um, posted to Facebook, you know, what he sees as 10 dynamics of the organized church that actually undermine spiritual growth rather than promote it. You know, so this guy was a pastor at the largest, largest mega church in the United States, you know, which basically means the world. And 
here he is, you know, years later saying, there are 10 reasons why churches undermine spiritual growth. So the previous essay by Dan Foster, you know, his research showing that Christians don't seem to follow Christ, at least half of them don't. Um, and now this essay is reflecting on, you know, sharing and then commenting on Jim Palmer's 10 reasons why churches don't help people follow Christ or don't learn to follow Christ. So the first reason, according to Jim Palmer, is that churches focus on numbers. Um, and Dan Foster, he's a former pastor himself, actually, um, and he writes, the church where I experienced the most growth never grew larger than about 30 regular attendees. By all the modern measures, it was a failure of a church. Why? Because in the circles that pastors move in, your level of success is measured by how many people you can get in the pew on Sunday morning. How big is your church is a question pastors are regularly asked at conferences and gatherings. Anyone can attract a crowd with free beer and pizza, but transforming people's lives, that is a messy, complicated, and time-consuming prospect. And I can attest to this a little bit too. Um, in my experience, you know, churches do focus on numbers. That can be done well, you know, well, yeah, we're focusing on numbers because every person, you know, in our church is a person we can transform. But I think it can also be done very poorly where you focus on numbers because every person in the church is a person in the church. You know, it's, it fills up the sanctuary and that makes us feel good. Um, feels like, makes us feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, it, you know, uh, fills up the offering plate and it keeps the business operations going. So I think focus on numbers can be done well, can be done very poorly. But either way, if you're just focusing on numbers and you don't get to the transformation of lives part, you're obviously going to contribute more to the 50% of Christians who don't act like Christ than to the 14% who do. Um, second reason from Jim Palmer, churches have a need for novelty. When churches have an unhealthy focus on numbers, they must resort to one-upmanship in terms of the level of entertainment they offer, better music, better coffee, more dynamic and engaging sermons, even door prizes. Uh, Dan Foster writes, I wrote recently about a church giving away free guns to get men to attend. No kidding. The thing is, Dan writes, style over substance has consequences and gimmicks might get people through the doors, but they never result in lasting transformation. You know, and again, this is something I kind of identify with and relate to. Um, in my local church, Trinity United Methodist Church in Piedmont, Missouri, um, I have pushed at times for better music. And what do I mean by better music? Well, I mean, you know, the music I like, you know, the style of worship and the style of music that I enjoy. Um, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what everyone enjoys. And that doesn't necessarily uh, transform people's lives, right? You know, I think music and worship is important. Don't get me wrong. But we can't stop there if we want to transform people's lives and help them uh, in their spiritual journeys better coffee. Um, again, you know, I kind of pushed for, okay, why don't we get some Keurigs in here? Um, we have um, kind of coffee ministries at this point, which I wasn't involved in pushing for. But you, and, and I think, again, you can do this well, you can do this poorly. So, you know, I think the Keurigs, I think um, definitely, absolutely, without a doubt, some of the coffee ministries we're doing right now are doing it well because they are meeting people's needs 
you know, they're giving people treats, um, giving people blessings, and serving people in that way. Um, and I think, and they're also creating opportunities for connection, right? Because in the lobby of our church, there's a spot where people are waiting on their coffee and end up talking. And they get their coffee and they're saying they're drinking it and they end up talking and they're creating relationships and connections. So I think currently we're doing it really well. I think a poor way of doing it would be, um, you know, we need the Starbucks brand coffee in here, um, just in the Starbucks sign because we think that's what people want. And we're going to get people in the door because we have Starbucks coffee and the church down the road doesn't. That's not a healthy way, I think, to approach that. Um, that's more, you know, like said, uh, Jim Palmer and Dan Foster say, a need for novelty, trying to one-up other churches versus trying to um, engage in substance and relationship and transforming lives. Third reason, pastors are focused on job security. Ooh. <laughs> Dan writes, if your livelihood depends on the success of your church as an organization, which is measured in number, then organizing, encouraging participation in church structures and programs becomes the main game. Transformation and growth are secondary to the main game. As a pastor, it's all about putting food on your table. Um, I sympathize with pastors who are wary of challenging the congregation because if you challenge the congregation too much, especially in certain denominations like Baptist churches, you might not get another chance to challenge the congregation. You might get fired, right? So like if you're in the Methodist church, you know, there are, are kind of organizational structures and bureaucracy and hierarchies that uh, provide a place for you as a pastor. Um, maybe it's not this church. Maybe it's at a different church. But if you're in a ba Baptist church, I mean, literally like, the next you know church board meeting might be the one that they vote to fire you um, because they have that very local decentralized governance so you know if you're a pastor you have structures and incentives that make it harder to maybe challenge your uh, congregants to grow spiritually mature spiritually um you know similarly you know in my background and helping with leadership at different times in my church you know, I um, read some material that, you know, said, yeah, you need to encourage participation in church structures and programs because that's how you assimilate people. You know, you, you get them in the door and hopefully you make connections with them. But then you got to get them in a small group and you got to get them involved in this and that because that deepens their connection and that connection becomes commitment. I don't think that's a bad model per se. Because in order to transform people's lives or in order to provide support and structure and space in which people can transform, uh, you've got to have their presence, right? I mean, if someone's on a spiritual journey, you can't help with that spiritual journey if they're taking it somewhere else, right? So I don't think that's a bad model per se to encourage participation in, structure, in structures and programs but it can't be, it can't stop at participation, right? It can't just be a checklist. It can't just be, um, 
a hamster wheel. You know, it's got to be intentionally designed and purposefully implemented to lead people to from connection to commitment, and then from commitment to growth and transformation. At least this is my opinion. Maybe it doesn't have to be, um, just my opinion. Fourth reason why churches often fail to help people spiritually grow. Churches are built around personalities. This is so true in evangelicalism and mega churches. So Dan writes, if I were to name the five biggest churches in America, most people in Christian subculture could name the senior pastor or leader. So I'm gonna pause there. Um, Willow Creek used to be Bill Hybels. I don't know who it is at, at current um, that whoever succeeded him has not become a celebrity pastor quite yet, at least not to my knowledge. But Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, Rick Warren at Saddleback uh, Church, um, Matt Chandler at uh, his church, and I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> um, so Dan writes, the next best thing to being a rock star is being the leader of the latest and greatest growing church. Of course, the problem is, if churches are built on the cult of personality, when one of these personalities falls, then the spiritual collateral can be enormous, or even terminal, for the faith of those in the church. Think Brian Houston at Hillsong Church in New York, uh, Mark Driscoll, um, Rabbi Zacharias, or Bill Hybels. The only personality a church should be built around, Dan writes, is Jesus. And I agree with that. Um... Another reason why churches fail to help people grow and mature spiritually. Churches are spiritual hierarchies. My last church, Dan writes, always used to talk a big game when it came to the biblical concept of the priesthood of all believers. We're all supposed to be ministers of the gospel, they would say. Then they would put a so-called expert up on the front uh, every week to talk to you for 40 minutes. And you would download his wisdom as he related in a flurry of words and exaggerated hand gestures. Ouch. <laughs> um, and remember, Dan is a former pastor himself. Um, he was a youth pastor at his church. He preached at his church. So, you know, he's kind of taking aim at himself or his former self here. And he adds, the reality is churches esteem and give preference to people with theological degrees and paid church positions. The pastors, staff, leaders, elders, etc., are considered a cut above with God compared to the rank and file church member. Um, so I think that's more true at some churches than others. You know, I genuinely don't feel like my church, Trinity United Methodist in Piedmont, Missouri, has a lot of hierarchy. We have a lot of structures. We have a lot of committees because we're more Methodist, but we don't have what I would consider a spiritual hierarchy where um, certain people are considered a cut above with God compared to the rank and file church member and therefore get more esteem and preference. Um, I have observed that in other churches I belong to, so that's why I feel pretty comfortable saying I don't see that here in my current congregation. I have seen it elsewhere where um, certain people were clearly regarded and treated as like for lack of a better description, the good Christians, right? The ones who had it all together. Kind of that performance-based, sin management, project the right image version of Christianity. Another reason churches fail to nurture spiritual growth, churches focus on believing rather than being. Too often the church makes God about having correct theology, but there are a lot of unhappy, broken, hurting, suffering, depressed, lonely, and angry people in the church with perfect theology. 
As long as you say you believe the right things and don't sin too much publicly, you can call yourself a Christian without ever having to do the uncomfortable work of actually becoming like Christ. Something that involves getting beneath the surface, underneath beliefs and behaviors to find out what's really going on. That part hits so well with the other essay that uh, I shared in this podcast. As long as you say you believe the right things and don't sin too much publicly, you can call yourself a Christian without doing the uncomfortable work of actually becoming like Christ. I think that is so true of so much of American Christianity, especially mega churches, especially um, evangelicalism. Um, you put the emphasis on believing these right things and not sinning too much publicly. You put the emphasis on sin management, and then you get to call yourself a Christian, and you can stop there. You don't have to get uncomfortable and work at becoming like Christ. Another reason churches miss the true focus of Jesus' ministry. Dan writes, the Bible never mentions a building called a church. However, you could be forgiving for, for believing otherwise, given the fact that every church seems to have a building program on the go. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God and the church as the worldwide body of believers. That actually makes church about as decentralized as any organization can be. When Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, he was not talking about a building or a congregation. He was talking about ushering in a new way of living and being. It is a world where injustice is a thing of the past, where there are no more poor to feed and clothe, and where the inherent value of all people is recognized and celebrated. That's the kingdom that Jesus instituted. So there Dan is pointing out that what we mean by church is often a building, or it's often a group of people who meet at this building and do stuff at this building and hang out. But what Jesus meant was that it was a new way of living and a new way of being in the world. That's a very different focus, right? If your focus is uh, of church is, well, it's a place where we get together and do these things and hang out, that's going to stimmy spiritual growth, certainly in comparison to talking about the church as a way of living in the world. Churches disenfranchise 50% of their members. It's a huge and unnecessary mistake to prevent women from full self-expression and leadership in all areas and levels of church life, according to Dan Foster and me, I agree. Yes, believe it or not, gender equality is not a thing in many churches, Dan writes. Many churches use obscure biblical texts removed from their cultural context and apply them to the modern 21st century church. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, is a favorite of the gatekeepers of the misogynist boys club that is church leadership. Ouch. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, Dan says. There are certain biblical laws that should be applied verbatim. Moral, lies, moral laws like thou shall not steal is a good example. But when you take cultural law that is clearly intended for a particular culture in a particular place at a particular time and apply it to now, you end up becoming an oppressor. Um, Beth Allison Barr, uh, in her book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, argues conclusively that not letting women preach, based on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, is a cultural construction. It's doing exactly what Dan describes here, is taking a verse out of its original context, where Paul is talking to this specific church, where these specific women are 
um, dominating, domineering the men in the group. Um, and she wrote, uh, Beth Allison Barr is writing a newsletter on Substack that I subscribe to. I highly recommend it. And her latest two issues were talking about this verse in particular um, and making that argument again and adding some different sources to it, that this verse was very particularized, very specific to a certain context, and it's not universal. Um, and if it were universal, Paul would have used different Greek words to, than what he used, right? And so translations miss that nuance. Um, and actually, uh, most translations miss that nuance. Beth Allison Barr quoted the message translation from Eugene Patterson. And the message translation actually gets it closer to the, Paul's original language and, and intended meaning based on that language he's using and the context in which he's using it. The message translates it, um, I'm doing this from memory, as, you know, I do not permit women to take over and dominate the men in the congregation, something like that. Um, that's very different than, well, women can't preach, you know, uh, Beth Moore can't preach because it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. Um, okay, so another reason churches, according to Jim Palmer and Dan Foster, often fail to help people grow spiritually. Churches are too controlling. When I started a church in my home, Dan writes, well-meaning Christians would often ask me, but who is keeping you accountable? The inference is clear. They are really saying, what's stopping you from preaching heresy and becoming some kind of cult? This points to a troubling truth. In the church, we are trained to believe that it is acceptable to have our lives examined and controlled by the church itself, specifically the church leadership. We outsource our faith and our morality. It's as if we believe that if church members were left to their own devices and forced to work out their own faith, they would descend into satanic worship without the church's rules, police, policies, teaching, and constant sin watching. In reality, working out faith for yourself is the best thing you can do for your spiritual growth. I mean, scriptures even say, you know, I think, I can't remember the exact verse, but, you know, to work out your faith with fear and trembling. Um, take it seriously. Don't just accept everything you're told, but think about it for yourself. And develop and nurture and mature your faith for yourself, rather than outsourcing your faith and morality. Um, I could not agree more. I mean, that's, I think that is so important to take responsibility for your own faith and figuring out what do you believe? Why do you believe it? How do you act or behave? And why do you act or behave that way? What attitudes do you possess? And why do you have those attitudes? And do any of them need to change or shift? So instead though, all too many Christians just outsource their faith and morality. And I think we also outsource our understanding of the scriptures and our understanding of church history and tradition. We just show up on Sunday morning and we listen to the expert tell us what to believe and what to do. And we just do go with that. And we don't take responsibility ourselves for understanding our faith and our morality, for understanding the Bible. We, you know, we, we let the expert, the pastor, tell us what the Bible means. And we don't engage in the work of trying to um, engage with the scriptures and understand them for ourselves. Churches lack diversity. Walk into pretty much any church and you will most likely notice that the people who attend are very similar culturally, racially, and socioeconomically. Churches seem to attract more of their own kind. The last church I attended, Dan writes, 
was situated in one of the most multicultural cities on earth, with over 200 nations represented in that community. The church, though, was mostly white, educated folk. We did not represent, in any way, the community in which we were situated. There's a really simple reason for this phenomenon. Most churches actually focus their efforts on attracting people of the same kind, so that's what they get, and it's a shame. Because the more diverse a church is, the more healthy. Not only that, when you are forced to work in a diverse environment, it causes you to grow. You grow in understanding, empathy, patience, and sens sensitivity, and discover new and different ways to connect with the divine. So, you know, why is diversity good? You know, in America, um, we tend to talk about diversity as though, you know, just having a few people of different races or ethnicities um, present, well, that's diversity. Not really, no. Diversity is equity and inclusion. Right? Diversity is not only people are present, but they have a voice and they, they have um, equal voice, equal respect and dignity. So if that's true, then it becomes very difficult to enforce a narrow perspective that ignores other life experiences, other perspectives. You know, so like in my community, you know, it, my community is overwhelmingly white. Um, so my church is going to be overwhelmingly white. But in a multicultural or multi-ethnic community like Dan Foster's talking about, your church should ideally look like that community. If it doesn't, then you've got to ask questions. Why is that? Why is it that black people aren't comfortable attending my church? Why is it that our churches in our community are so segregated by race or by class? Um, one reason, like Dan says, is churches focus on attracting people who are like the people already there. Um, and I actually just recently on the Holy Post podcast heard Phil Fisher talk about a researcher who made an observation that um, churches that were homogenous grew faster. And that was just an observation he made. But then people took that as a prescription. Oh, if you want to grow, then you need to try to attract a homogenous crowd. But the problem with that is that it then stimmies your growth. Because, you know, um, take the controversy over Black Lives Matter, for example. If your church is 95% white, it's going to be really easy to misunderstand Black Lives Matter it's going to be really easy for a misunderstanding or a, a flawed perspective on Black Lives Matter to take hold and not be challenged. Whereas if your church is, you know, reflecting the community in which you are, in which your church is, and, you know, say, you know, the population is 70-30, you know, and your church is 70% white, 30% black, well, there's going, and, and, everyone has equal voice and equal respect for their life experiences and perspectives you know it's not just that they're present but that they have a voice and when they speak they're not dismissed out of hand like oh well, that's just what you think you know no you have a valid life experience that may be different from mine that i can learn from if you have both that diversity and the equity and inclusion well then you're going to have a better understanding of diverse life experiences. You're going to therefore have a better understanding of something like Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I have no idea as a white man what it's like to be pulled over by a police officer as a black man or a black woman. I have no idea what that's like. 
I have no idea what that interaction, how that interaction might be different or change. Um, and so maybe I need to listen to people who are black men and black women tell me it's a different experience for us than it is for you. And I don't know, you know, I have some theories about why there's some research about why, but first just listen to my story and let me tell you about my experience and, and how it might be different from yours. Um, you can't get that kind of experience. You can't get that kind of opportunity to learn and grow if you're in a homogenous environment or church. Okay, so Dan uh, concludes one more thing. There's one final reason why the organized church won't help you grow. Here it is. The church doesn't actually want you to grow. Why not? Well, if you are really growing in your faith, it will inevitably cause you to question the church system at some point. That is a given. There are many things about the modern church that are virtually incongruous or inconsistent with living a life that honors Christ. It shouldn't be that way, but if we are really honest, we must concede that it is. And that's a problem for the church. After all, a person questioning the church might be tempted to redirect their tithes and offerings elsewhere. Perhaps to say helping the poor and needy, rather than paying the pastor's salary, and remember Dan's a former pastor, and building more magnificent buildings. But it doesn't have to be this way. I still believe that there is a way for the church to prove itself valuable to the world once more. However, as long as the church continues in the patterns, attitudes, and behaviors mentioned in this article, the pews will continue to become more and more empty. Okay, so, you know, Dan takes some shots at pastors. He takes some shots at churches. And it's important to remember, he's a former pastor. And he is, uh, he's no longer attending church. But he definitely believes that Christianity and the church as the body of believers is valuable and can be better than it has been and is. That's why he writes essays like this, right? So Dan takes some, he's critical, but he's not critical just for the sake of it. He's critical because he wants to see growth in individuals and in the body of believers as a whole. So this is really, I think this is something to take seriously. The church doesn't actually want you to grow. Why not? Well, if you're growing in your faith, you're going to question your faith. You're going to question the system itself. Um, think about the deconstruction movement. You know, I've recorded multiple podcasts about deconstruction, you know, questioning your inherited traditions and beliefs asking, you know, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Do I still believe that? Um, do I still believe exactly the same thing? Or has it changed a little bit and why? That process of deconstruction, that, in my opinion, is growing and maturing in your faith. It is becoming more like Christ. Um, for some people, they deconstruct themselves out of faith. That's unfortunate. But I think that I would rather people authentically follow Jesus or not than to just say, well, yeah, I agree with this. I outsource my faith and morality and, you know, I show up at church every now and then, you know, especially on Christmas and Easter. So I'm a Christian. You know, I'd rather people like honestly wrestle with their faith and beliefs and leave Christianity, but maybe hold on to some of the morality and ethics of Jesus and love others and treat others uh, with respect and kindness and compassion than to you know sit in the church pews and think they're a good person 
because they're doing so when they maybe act and treat people and have attitudes that are very not Christ-like. 54% of people, according to that research, who agree with the statements that indicate attitudes and actions like Pharisees, those people are attending church, <laughs> a lot of them. Those people are tithing, those people are you know doing these things, but they're not growing spiritually, right? So yes, some people might deconstruct out of the faith, but um, as Ben Kramer said to me in a podcast episode way back in the history of this podcast, uh, one of his mentors told him, Jesus has followers the church doesn't have, and the church has followers Jesus doesn't have, right? So just sitting in the pews doesn't mean you're following Jesus. Just mentally agreeing with a set of beliefs and doctrines doesn't mean you're following Jesus. Um, so I really reserve judgment on people who have deconstructed out of church or out of faith and say, well, I no longer believe in this. Um, because I think that following Jesus is more than attending church, is more than mentally agreeing with a set of beliefs or ideas. Um, you know, and I, I might be wrong about that, but I also believe in God's grace and mercy. So the church doesn't really want you to grow according to Dan, because if you grow, if you deconstruct, then you could leave a faith, but you could also question the church systems and structures themselves and maybe question, well, why are we doing it this way? And should we do it this way? You know, instead of building a bigger building or a nicer building, maybe instead we uh, focus our money on helping the poor or helping refugees or in our in benefiting our community in some way. And obviously that's going to affect kind of the power structures and the dynamics of the church. Um, John MacArthur's church, um, John MacArthur's is 80 something year old, very influential celebrity pastor. Um, at his church, they're going through a scandal right now because it's been reported that they, he and his leadership and elders at his church for the last 20 something years, at least, have counseled women to stay with their husbands even when those husbands were abusive. Um, one woman in particular was told to stay with her husband, forgive her husband, just submit to him and his authority even though she suspected he was abusing their children. So many women, you know, this is an example where, you know, maybe that church doesn't want people to grow because when those people grow, they question the church system and they say, well, should women really be submitting to this? Should they really be submitting to their husbands if their husbands are doing this? Um, should women really be, you know, forgiving their husbands? If by forgiveness, you mean that they continue to allowed to stay in this abusive situation and they continue to let their children stay in this abusive situation. Um, and in fact, one man, um, I forget his name, but a elder at the church, who's also a lawyer, was asked by the church to review their handling of one particularly egregious case from 20 years ago. And this case, when it got reported and um, became known, I think prompted this review of this 20-year-old case or situation. This lawyer uh, said to them in his review, in his report, you need to apologize to this woman. You need to, ma you need to uh, make it right with this woman and admit wrongdoing. And 
reportedly, John MacArthur said, forget about it. Not going to happen. <laughs> so there are many churches that are wonderful places where that kind of stuff doesn't happen. There are many churches where they want you to grow and they try to help you grow. And if you question the church and its structures in the process of that growth, that's okay. That's even encouraged. They don't view themselves as a system that's above and beyond and ahead of people. They view themselves as a structure in which people are to be prioritized and people's growth are to be prioritized. And we can improve our structure and our support around those people. So yeah, question it, help us grow, help us help you. And then there are churches like John MacArthur's and there are, you know, churches like the many in the Southern Baptist convention that covered up abuse in a systematic way. Um, and, and so I hate to say it, but I think the data show and Dan Foster's experience shows and our, the news reporting and news accounts show that way too many churches don't in fact want their members to grow because they don't want their system and their structures to be questioned and critiqued and pushed. So what do we do? Well, like Dan says, it doesn't have to be this way. There is a way for the church to prove itself valuable to the world once more. So we gotta stop. <laughs> we gotta stop focusing on numbers alone. We have to stop um, trying to attract people through novelty alone. We've got to stop um, focusing more on like job security and cults of personalities. We've got to stop um, creating spiritual hierarchies and focusing on believing rather than acting in our faith. We've got to stop um, missing the point of Jesus' ministry and controlling people and um, promoting uniformity of race and ethnicity and even beliefs and ideologies and politics and instead embrace and learn from diversity that's equitably included and has authentic respected voice and not just is a token at the table um, and we've got to stop putting church structures and systems and hierarchies above the people in those structures right um you know jesus says sabbath was made for man man wasn't made for the sabbath so yeah we're going to continue gathering some food to eat even though it's on the sabbath you know that's what he said to the pharisees paraphrasing that you know the church as a organization was not you know man wasn't made for the church the church as an organization was man made for man um and so i think above all you know, we've got to be open to questioning our church systems and structures and not being afraid of that. Because if we grow and transform and mature in those structures and systems, then we can do that in service of growing, creating the support and the space and structure in which people can grow and transform spiritually and become ever more like Christ. And then maybe at some point in the future, the data will be different. And instead of 14% um, agreeing with those statements that indicate Christ-like attitudes and actions, maybe we'll be closer to at least half of Christians. 
So as always, thank you for listening and please rate and review the podcast. Please share the podcast on social media. Tell people about the podcast. Talk about these ideas. Let me know if you have feedback, uh, good or bad or ugly. <laughs> Let me know if you want to come on as a guest and you know bat some of these ideas back and forth. Um, I'd, I'd be open to that for sure. So uh, James Eric Sintel at gmail.com and I'll put that email address in the show notes where you can contact me. Um, so wherever you're listening, if you scroll down, you should see a description of the episode, including my email address. If you want to get in contact with me to share feedback or to talk about coming on the show to discuss some of these points further. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed and benefited from this, and I hope that you can share it with others who might also enjoy and benefit from it. As always, God bless.